Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. As I said, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 5 this evening. And uh, as we begin, uh, I was just talking about uh, the project house that we have, the, as the kids refer to it, the broken house. And uh, my years of experience in the construction industry, it was always very important that you had the uh, right materials. Often a job would come to a standstill when uh, something that you did not uh, account for uh, was before you and you ran out of that one thing. It might just be a certain type of screw, it might be a certain type of bend in a pipe uh, for uh, plumbing, it might be a a certain box to attach uh, electrical things to or screws that attach ceiling fans or whatever it might be and often I would uh, turn into MacGyver trying to find some way just to be able to take that next step so I'm not held up but often it would result in a a quick trip down the road to the hardware store to be able to find uh, that certain one particular thing but if you had all the materials on site then that was uh, one of the big uh, aspects of building Um, often uh, the the big cost in in building a project is uh, labor and then uh, right next to that is materials and almost all my projects there was always it was almost 50 50 the labor was one thing finding the right labor to be able to accomplish that task but the right materials uh, for the right job and as we turn now to um, first kings chapter 5 we start what what is a new section of uh, solomon's reign and solomon's kingdom we've uh, which is really what Solomon will be known for. Uh, David will be known for many things, uh, David and Goliath, and uh, most importantly, uh, first, uh, Second Samuel chapter 7, that covenant uh, God made with David of his son sitting on the throne forever. But Solomon really is attributed to this one thing. His wisdom is grand and uh, splendid. You see that throughout the scriptures. But even uh, the author of First Kings spends a large amount of time on this one topic, and that is his building of the temple. Uh, you, you can often look at the Bible and see what it emphasizes, and from that emphasis you can see what, it, what the author is trying to point out. And often those times where we could have said, well, this could have just been a couple of lines in the Bible. Why would we have all this information in detail? Why did God have to inspire this scripture? Um, and often there are the things that we get bogged into. But here, interestingly in the Hebrew Bible, uh, chapter 5 actually begins in chapter 4, verse 21. And I think that helps us understand how this is connects to this passage uh, tonight, particularly uh, in 4, verse 21, when it says, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now you go to the end of that uh, portion in verse 34 where it says, All all people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. So here you see these two categories. Verse 21 saying all these kings come to bring tribute. And then verse 34, all these kings come to be able to hear of this wisdom. And then you come to chapter 5, verse 1 in our English Bibles, which says, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram always loved 
David. So you see this connection of how uh, the kings, a specific king, the author focuses on a specific king who, who brings tribute to Solomon. Hiram, we met him back in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 11, and Hiram, king of Cyrus, Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. Here, uh, Hiram has this long-lasting relationship with David. He helped build David's house. You'll see him help build God's house. He'll help build Solomon's house as well. And we see what is summarized in verse uh, 12, you would say, in chapter 5. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty. So here we see a political summary of what happened during this time between these two kings, Hiram and Solomon. However, we also see this important aspects of this passage. And the first that we notice is Solomon's request. We see this in verses 2 to 6, Solomon's request. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God, because on the warfare... Uh, of the warfare which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversity, adversary or misfortune, and so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Add, as the Lord said to David my father, your name, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I pay you, I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set. And you know that there is no, no one among us who knows how to cut timbers like the Sidonians. So we see that uh, David knows Hiram very well. This, as the verse one says, that he he loved Hiram, always loved David. And, and there's information that even Solomon assumes that Hiram knows, that David was not to build God a house. So maybe Hiram had finished helping David build his house, and David says, well, I want to build the Lord a house. And he, he might have talked to Hiram about this before, getting these cedars uh, from Lebanon to be able to help build the Lord. And, and yet there was this information that Hiram knows that he was not able to build a house. And this is exactly what we find out in First Chronicles, is God speaking to David, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as the leader in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons he took pleasure in me to make me king over Israel. And all my sons, for the Lord has given me Many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord for Lord over Israel. So here uh, we find out that David knows exactly why he is not to build a house. God was very clear, but we don't find that in Second Samuel chapter seven. But David knows he's very clear. He 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 knows that he is not to build a house because he's a man of war. And maybe he passed that information to Hiram, and Solomon knew that he was not to build a house because he was a man of war. This is exactly what we find in First Chronicles chapter 22. 
when Solomon is called and he is charged to build a house for the Lord, the God. And David speaks to Solomon saying in verse 7, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Before a son shall be born to you, you shall be a man of rest, who will give him rest on from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and it will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever." So here David is repeating what he heard in First Samuel and in Second Samuel chapter seven, and here we see many things that are familiar in that. But one of these things that is not specifically mentioned in Second Samuel chapter seven is you have shed much blood and great waged much wars. So Solomon knew as he became king, he's charged by his father. He he knows specifically that he is going to build uh, the Lord a house. That there is going to be peace around on every side, and he was going to build a house. Now we even find out in Second Samuel chapter and First Chronicles chapter twenty-two that David was even helping prepare all these materials for Solomon as well. That's what we find out in verses two and five that David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone stonecutters to prepare dress stones for the building of the house of the Lord house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the, of the gates, and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing. The cedar timbers without number for the Sidonians and uh, Tyrians uh, uh, brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David asked, Solomon, my son, is young and, young and inexperienced, and the house that he is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent." of fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. So David knew that he was going to, Solomon was going to build a house for the Lord. Solomon knew that he was going to build a house for the Lord. And here David is preparing all these resources for him together. And David also told the people that Israel, this is what's going to happen in verses uh, 17 and 19 of First Chronicles chapter 22. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the ha- land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build a sanctuary of the Lord God so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God might be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. And again, you see that David is helping prepare. He's getting the leaders ready. He's getting everyone ready. And thus you can understand why Solomon tells Hiram that he knows that David was not meant to build a house, that he was going to build a house. But again, we see this, what... Solomon has asked for before. He says that I am like a child. I, I, have, I have no experience in ruling your people. One of the great things that 
he, he gets this wisdom for us to be able to build this house. And again, David, in a couple of chapters later, in First Chronicles chapter 29, explains that Solomon is young and inexperienced. And David, the king, said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, as far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, uh, atimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. So here again, he, David is, is, I can't build a house, but I'm going to try and help Solomon build a house. Everybody knows that Solomon as king was going to build a house for the Lord. It's public knowledge. But also David is saying that Solomon is young and inexperienced. So Solomon comes to the throne. He knows this is what he is carried out to do. He knows the promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he sets out to be able to build and prepare this house. Now one of the key refrains was that David was a man of war. Solomon will build a house because he will have peace on every side. That's exactly what Solomon's refrain comes up as he speaks to Hiram. He says, the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. So now, he says in verse 5, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. There's no adversaries, no misfortune around him. He has peace on every side. Because again, he goes back to that promise that God said, God will establish David's son on his throne, and he was going to build a house for my name. And this is what he explains to Hiram. As he says, and he lays out his plan, and they try and find some form of an agreement. Quite specifically, in verse 6, he says, Now therefore command the cedars of Lebanon, be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your wages, servants such wages as set you set. For you know that there is none, no one among us who knows how to cut timbers like the Sidonians. So here, they, they try and find some form of agreement. I'm going to pay you this. You know, I, this is what I need. How much are you going to pay me? Again, when you're pricing things, you call up, how much is this you know, piece of lumber? And you call around and you try and find out, well, this, this person has it for this price. This person has it for this price. But here, Solomon and Hiram come to an agreement. Hiram actually rejoices over this. But notice what he rejoices over in verse 7. Solomon's quest is quite simple. I need lumber. I need timber. I need uh, uh, build, uh, trees, cedars from Lebanon. <clears throat> and Hiram heard these words of Solomon. He rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given David a wise son to be over this great people. Here Hiram is. He, he praises God, specifically the name of Yahweh. Now this, I think, is uh, back to how Solomon refers to him quite uh, frequently throughout his request as the, the Lord, Yahweh. 
And he, and he praises God because of Solomon's wisdom. Again, God's been praised because God gives Solomon the wisdom. But also, notice that he says, who has given David to be a wise son to be over this great people. Even Hiram is able to understand why Solomon asked for this wisdom in the first place, that these are a great people. And if they are a great people, then it is definitely a great God whom they serve. So Hiram then responds to Solomon in verses 8 to 12. And he explains that Hiram sent Solomon say, to Solomon saying, I have heard the message that you have sent me. I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of the cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts and go by sea to the place you direct. And we will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it, and you shall meet my witches by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress as he desired. Why Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty. So here you see this agreement comes. This is the payment that is worked out. This, this treaty that they come to. And we think about this in a larger story. What a pivotal moment this is for the nation of Israel. That here, finally we see a promise that is made all the way back by, as God spoke to Moses in chapter 12. Here's the path that the, the, the wood have gone by. Uh, here you have uh, up the top entire, they come down from Lebanon and and the easiest way to be able to transport these large bits of wood was to tie them together in a raft, to set them a sail down uh, the, in the sea, and then pick them up around Joppa and then kind of carry them across rather than going across rough terrain. You know, we have large trucks and highways that we can put ample logs on that will pull a, a large amount of trees up and down mountains around corners, but this probably was not a... A sensible task. So what they do is they, they uh, you see the practicality of even how this lumber gets down uh, to the nation of Israel. But again, back to that. This is a large pivotal point when we think about Deuteronomy chapter twelve. God specifically tells you, but you shall seek a place for the Lord that your God will choose out of all your tribes to put His name and to make His habitation there. Here we see God specifically tell that there was going to be a place where God would build a temple within uh, the people. Uh, we find out where that temple is in the last uh, chapter of, uh, chapters of um, 2 Sam, Samuel, where Aruna, the Jezebite, and the, David makes his sacrifice. He purchases this land. We find out this is Mount Moriah where God also uh, asked uh, Abraham to go sacrifice his son, but the, the, there was a ram in the thicket, and God said, I will provide, and here is a place where God is going to build his name. And So it's not merely that they know where the place is, but now this building project is starting to come underway. That in 
chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, it's the continuation of Moses' farewell speech to the Israelites. And in this chapter, Moses is instructing the people of God how to be able to worship God once they enter the promised land. He tells them to destroy all pagan altars and idols and find in the land and worship the God in the only place that he will choose. It's God's way and we worship God according to his principles. He then also tells them to bring their tithes and offerings to this central sanctuary where they'll be able to rejoice before the Lord with their family and the Levites. Now this is actually the problem the woman comes up with at the, at the well when she meets Jesus. She, she's quick to be able to change the topic quite often. But she says that our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Again, this is a central point that God was not merely just giving them a land to be able to dwell in, but a land in which he would dwell with them in. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but notice this important of what this pivotal moment is. And then when you understand Solomon asking for wisdom, you understand what a central thing this is Solomon's asking for. This would be where God would come and dwell. His name would be placed there that he would dwell in amongst his people. Solomon points this out in verse 5 quite clearly. That I, Solomon, intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son whom I set on your throne in your place shall build the house in my name. Or David points out this is not merely just a house for any person. This is a house for the Lord. That here, Solomon, David understands this is where God will dwell. But all this happens through physical trees and things. It's a physical place in which they build. And as we continue, I just want to remind us that this is not just merely any house. This is not merely just going to Lowe's and choosing even the best of the studs there. Here they're going to to Hiram to be able to get the greatest trees and lumbers that are available. These are not merely just the the top-of-the-shelf materials. These are the best of the best. And what we see as we continue in this chapter, that there's more preparations that are being done for this house that Solomon knows that he is going to do. Verses 13 and 17. And Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and he drafted number 30,000 men, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram, Adoniram was in charge of the draft, and Solomon also had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters in, his, in the hill country, besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried on the work. At the king's command, they quarried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. So here we see that Solomon prepares the Materials, but now he's preparing the labor. Now, we have right at the beginning in verse 13, 
this, this terminology of forced labor. Now, where to be able to start with this? I think you can clearly see that this is a difficult question. We're not told if this is a good thing, a bad thing, what this looks like. We see almost every week, I think, um, what, I, what I call these warning signs, these red flags in Solomon's reign in, in some form of tax, even though it might be for good cause. He would pay those working for Hiram quite clearly. We see that. But there's no mention here of any pay for the Israelites. Is it a different sense of the word when we think about forced labor? Now David had forced labor. But we notice that this is something that appears later on in his list and not early when we see that list before in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Adoram was in charge of forced labor. Now the law specifically forbid them putting any Israelites to be able to carry out any type of forced labor in Leviticus chapter 25. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. Now again, I think you can say, well, this is a good cause, right? This is a good cause to be able to build the house of the Lord, that everyone should be involved in this. Well, what does that look like? Again, we're not told specifically. We're not told that information. Maybe you can say it's a good cause, but incorrectly carried out. Now again, I think, I I say this is one of the warning signs because I think what you see is this influence that we saw right back at one of the first red flags that we pointed out. That Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house, the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. That was exactly what we see in Exodus, in the very beginning, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramesses. It is the exact same word that is used here, and they set taskmasters over them. It's the same word that is used here in First Kings chapter 5. Now later on, what they would like to say is that The complaint that they raise in chapter 12 is that Solomon, the father, um, made our yoke heavy. Therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Now, when we think about it, we see in Exodus, they're, they're saved to be able to build God a house. But you see that then when they're, they're saved, they're not forced to build that house. Specifically in Exodus chapter 25, speak to the people of Israel that they t- take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goatskins, Acadia wood. Oil for lamps, spices, anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. 
So you see here maybe a bit of a difference here that here Moses is saying, bring your things that we might be able to build the house. And yet Solomon here is, is carrying out this forced labor. And again, it's not easy to be able to answer. Is it right or wrong? We don't have enough information. But even if, if it's wrong, the focus on the passage is about the project and the materials. About this great house of the Lord as they get prepared. That's what you see here. Verse 18. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gabal did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. And I think here you see this, this great and glorious task that is set before him and we see the, the, the nature of this temple. The author of uh, Hebrews specifically mentions that there's the tabernacle and the temple that are built with human hands. But yet Christ is far greater because he's not built with human hands. He's not made. And as we continue to look through this section, I think we'll see many connections to Christ and the temple. But maybe just as we think about this, right at this point, they're not doing any kind of construction. All they're doing is preparing the stones. We find out later that that when they're cutting the stones out, they don't do any cutting in the temple site. All the cutting is done in the quarry, and they take the prepared stones into the temple. So here, they're getting the stones, and they're cutting the stones, they're preparing the stones. And as they're picking out the stones, there's stones, and they're saying, this one is going to be good to be able to hold this amount of weight. This one is going to be the cornerstone. So as they're choosing these physical stones, here's the shadow of what they're, they're seeing in Christ. As Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 2, that are built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And here that shadow of, of Christ as the temple. And, and here they're choosing physical things to be able to represent this great and glorious task of God coming to dwell within their midst. And even if we think about so, sinful Solomon constructing the temple, the, the purpose is not about the sinful man who built it, for everyone would be ruled out. <laughs> but what the temple means is God with us. Him finally fulfilling His promise to come dwell within His people. That the purpose is that He is coming down to dwell with them, not that they are going up to dwell with Him, because they cannot come up to dwell with Him. They're imperfect. But here Christ, Christ God, is going to come down to be able to be close to His people. But also here we see that the temple is not only God coming down, but a way for man to come to God as well. Through the sacrifices, the atonements that are going to be made, it's a way that God in His sinfulness are able to approach God through the blood of the rams and bulls, which, sacrifice, which symbolize as shadows of Christ to come. But this glorious image, even if Solomon is building this in a sinful way, the only way that he is going to be able to approach God in the temple is through faith to be able to accomplish this. That all of this is pointing forward to the need for Christ, the hope of Christ, 
That, that temple not made with hands, but the spiritual temple, his own body. In all of this, it, it merely is just a shot. It's not important. I mean, there's details that are very important, as we'll see, but that it's always just a shadow. It's never the hope just found in that temple. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.